Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. This is my first episode guest starring on a podcast. So this is a this is a new thing for me, something to tick off before the end of 2020. I really feel like there's been so much this year that has surprised me. And this might be the piece de resistance that you have not been on a podcast before. <laughs> yeah, no, just uh, I, I guess I'm not uh, I'm not in with all the cool kids to be invited to guest star on an episode of a podcast. But you're you're the cool kid who helped me um, break the glass ceiling of my podcasting. I don't know where the metaphors were going there, but <laughs> they are mixed and they are plentiful. Uh, and also a first in 2020 being called a cool kid never has happened in 39 years of my life. So, you know, I feel like we could wrap this right now. I've had a great time. Uh, <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I hope you have a great evening and a great rest of the 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Kindness Warriors podcast. Today, I have somebody on the line from Wellington, New Zealand. Um, This is her first podcast, and it's also our first conversation together ever, even though I think we've known each other for like a decade online. Um, So guest on the other end of, of this interwebby thing, can you please introduce yourself? Wow, you make me sound so cool and mysterious when uh, you only refer to me by my pronouns. Um, Hi, I'm Libby Great News. I am a social media specialist by trade, Um, a person who self-describes as living life in screaming color. I am a notable colorful oddity around Wellington, dressing in mostly vintage and eccentric clothing. I am a uh, cat enthusiast, a part-time voiceover uh, professional commercial voiceover artist, I guess that's what you call it. And um, I like kindness and cool things. Oh, I'm a, <laughs> I can't believe I forgot this. It's like the most other part-time thing I do. I am a, I'm part of the Wellington performing arts scene as a drag king. I forgot to ask you, tell me your pronouns. We try to go through pronouns on this show too. I am she, her, and you are? I am she, her. Okay, there we go. So that's a fantastic thing to ask everybody at the beginning of every conversation. And Drag King, I started to see this pop up on your socials and you look amazing all the time. Anyways, tell me about this. How did you get into it? How often are you doing this? Where are you performing? All of these kinds of things. And then we'll talk about work. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, So my drag persona is homoneurotic. Uh, uh, In case you in case people are out there not getting the joke, it's a play on homoerotic. Um, (laughs) I have been performing as Homer for just under two years now. Um, I got into the drag king scene through Wellington has an absolutely incredible thriving drag community and it only just gets bigger and bigger by the week. But um, Mm -hmm. I got into it through the incredible and notable Hugo girl. Um, So he is like the, one of the top dog drag Kings down here. He helped me get my start alongside um, the incredible Willie Smackintosh, who is a former mixed capital drag um, and a producer of shows. Um, so I got into it just by starting to, I I was a huge fan of RuPaul's Drag Race and I was like, oh, well, surely, you know, Wellington's very gay and very colorful. Surely there is a thriving drag scene down here. And sure enough, I just popped down the road to Fringe Bar and Ivy Bar and there is 
an absolutely incredible, thriving drag scene down here. And I found out very quickly that something that you won't see on RuPaul's Drag Race is that there are drag kings in Wellington everywhere. So those are people who perform masculinity instead of femininity in drag. Um, yeah, and so I started going to shows. Uh, I just kind of got the bug and I was like, I saw what people were doing on stage and I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure I could do that. And so um, Hugo and Willie gave me my start. I got my debut at The Little Boys Room, which is a show that still runs on a semi-regular basis down at the Fringe Bar. Um, I had my debut, my solo debut in uh, April of last year. And since then, it's just completely exploded and taken over all of my free time. Um, as far as shows go, go that I have coming up, I am in the big, uh, depending on when this is, I am in the Big Gay Christmas Drag Show, which is coming up on the 11th, 12th and 13th of December. Um, we have limited tickets left for the Sunday show. The other shows are sold out. And I am in Slay the New Year, which is produced by California and Ivy Bar. And it takes place down at Ivy Bar on the 31st of December. Okay, so favorite kind of genre around music that you like to perform to? Are you doing music or are you doing more like the, I don't know, skit style? Um, so I mostly lip sync. I tend to have storylines within my performances, but it is mostly lip syncing. Um, I will like record little sketches and little extras to add into it though. Um, but my favorite genre I found initially, I went towards kind of, musicals which is like very stereotypical um <laughs> millennial gay kind of thing but um started off veering towards musicals but then as time's gone on I am being drawn towards um reliving my mid-teens as an emo kid and I'm mostly doing <laughs> emo music from like the mid-2000s at this point it's kind of hilarious my 15 year old self would be so proud and like be like yes get it thriving Oh, that is so good. I love all of the scenes here. So I live, I live up in Auckland. Uh, Libby lives down in Wellington. I always get the up and down mixed up because I'm from San Diego in California and that's as far south as you can get. So everything was always north. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think after 20 years, I'm finally, you know, getting the hang of it here. But the scene here in New Zealand, especially drag, drag queens, drag kings, just the the rainbow scene in New Zealand has been for me, especially in the last five or six years, as I've been coming more and more part of the quote unquote club. Um, wow. What a, what a, what a place to find beautiful humans, fun times, accepting community. I just think when I saw your first post that you were um, going to be performing, my heart did, skipped a little beat. Um, I was so proud for you. I thought that Aww. was really cool. Thank you. And okay, so let's do a little bit of a shift, a 2020 pivot, if you will. Tell me about you. Tell me about you. You mentioned when you introduced yourself, a little bit of color. People might, you know, recognize you when they see you walking down the street. Since this is an auditory format, tell us a little bit about that. Um, yes. So I, when I say that I am a colorful oddity and that people might recognize me, I mean that um, I very much stand out in a crowd and uh, I get people will, people will randomly message me on Facebook being like, I see you walking to work every day. Please keep up what you're doing. It makes my day, which is so sweet. Um, so my very colorful journey started about eight years ago, actually, when out of the blue, after 
working with a hairdresser to get my hair back to its natural color, which is uh, kind of an auburn brown, um, I got really bored and decided that I hated it a few weeks in. And I said, let's do something wild. Let's dye my hair blue. I don't know why I picked the color blue, but that is the color that I have for the most part stuck with. And eight years later, I have bright blue hair, very recognizable. It gets all, the hair dye gets all under my fingernails and on my neck and on my sheets and on my clothes, but it's totally worth it. Um, it's currently half blue, half purple because um, I like to make the joke that I'm an indecisive bisexual. Um, and so that extends <laughs> to my hair as well. Um, and as far as the clothing goes, I am a huge fan of the retro inspired, vintage inspired um, kind of pinup style of clothing so that's so think like beautiful dresses with flowy skirts and petticoats although I am um this is I wouldn't say controversial but unusual in the vintage and pinup community I'm a pinup who wears pants I'm a big fan of high-waisted cigarette pants but still keep that very colorful I've got green pants blue pants purple pants checkered pants I love pants <laughs> A, a panted pinup. Panted pinup. That. That's me. Uh, yeah. And so how that started about was that I was, this was, I think this might have been somewhere between six to eight years ago. I was watching Mad Men and I just wow. couldn't get over the costuming for that show. It was absolutely incredible. And I'd always been drawn to really brightly colored things, but I didn't have the confidence at the time to do it because I didn't want people looking at me. I didn't want to draw attention to myself. And so I finally decided to Google like Mad Men, like daily outfits or just, it was some kind of term like that. And I found a like vintage reproduction company that made clothes that were like from that era um I made my first order I didn't really wear the clothes all that much because again I was super shy and didn't didn't want people looking at me so much until one day about four and a half years ago I was actually going through a um a depressive slump I just couldn't get myself out of a rut and I thought you know what will cheer me up I will wear this dress that I never wear because I can never find an occasion to wear it. And so I put it on and I received so many compliments that I was like, oh, well, maybe if I do this again tomorrow, it'll make me feel better again. And it just kept going and going. And here we are like four and a half, five years later, still dressing colorfully and um, with uh, highly impractical skirts and petticoats basically every day. Um, and it brings us, it brings a smile to my face, which is why I do it. It helps me get out of bed in the morning. Um, but as a lovely side effect, it brings a smile to other people's faces as well. And I've had people message me saying, seeing you dress like this every day, uh, makes me feel, gives me the confidence to try something new in my wardrobe. So the fact that I can inspire people without even having met them is something really special. <laughs> My first memory and my only memory of you in real life was walking down Queen Street in Auckland. And this is going to sound real creepy and I'm sorry, but I think I, <laughs> I, think I messaged you. So I, that makes it a little better. <laughs> but you had like a monkey backpack or something like that. Oh. And you were walking down Queen Street and I was like, did I just see you with blue hair and a monkey backpack? <laughs> and you were like, yeah, say hi. I was like, oh, I'm 
maybe there could have been somebody else, you know. <laughs> <laughs> there are a few there are a few of us around, but um I tend to uh lean towards the more eccentric end of the retro style whereas um there are a lo- there are a lot of us around, but there are a lot of people who stick to a more kind of classic and like era uh era inspired look whereas i'm like i like all of these colors and i would like to pair it with a cheeseburger backpack and a pikachu backpack and so good so good (laughs) i think the little girl in me would love that um it's a funny it's funny to hear you say that you know when you were feeling maybe you were going through a depressive episode and just the feedback from others that you got that helped you feel better and then the fact that all these years later you realize that it's not even just about how you feel when people give you compliments, but you're helping other people feel good about their day. Do you think it's because people can tell that you're actually putting time into yourself and care into yourself um, when it comes to that and showing the world that, hey, I'm cool. I am allowed to take um, care of, of how I look and just walk through the world the way I want to? Um. I think in New Zealand in particular, we have we have this terrible tendency to want to fade into the background. And I think for those of like, if, if that's how you feel about things, if you're happy to just kind of blend in with life day to day, then there is absolutely nothing wrong with that because everyone should just do what they're comfortable with. But I feel like for people who maybe have not found their own inner source of confidence to kind of stand out from the crowd, seeing someone else doing that I think gives them internal permission to do so it gives them validation that if there is someone else out there who is existing in this world in a way that maybe I would like to be more like then maybe I can make a decision to wear that outfit tomorrow maybe I can make a decision to change my hair next week I think as Kiwis we it's it's a bit it's a bit sad but as kiwis i think we like to all we like to blend in which if you love to blend in not knocking that everyone should just do what they're comfortable with but for people who are struggling with this feeling of this doesn't fit me but i don't know how to get out of this seeing someone else who seems happy who makes you smile i think makes you feel a little bit braver yes yes I love that. It's it's almost like the knock-on effect of one person's bravery. The leader, you know, I think of that a lot of the time in a professional sense. Um, for years and years after I got to New Zealand, I learned very quickly about tall poppy and about not standing out, especially when I open my mouth and an American accent comes out. You know, that's just <laughs> kind of a strike against you if you are confident and um, you are curious. So I started to stop wearing bright colors and I straightened my hair for 10 years and all of these things. And it's only been in the last probably three or four years where I thought, fuck it. I'm going to have my curly hair. I'm going to wear quadruple denim to a board meeting. <laughs> yes. You know, I'm going to swear. I'm going to wear my docks every goddamn day because you know, I'm almost 40 and my docks have zippers. So I don't even have to tie those suckers. Amazing. Um, you know what I mean? And it's, and I like you get quite a few people writing to me going, you know, how do you walk into a room like that without wearing a suit? Or, you know, how do you find your voice to speak up? And I think it is, it's like this, this lovely little, I don't know, energy that, you know, when people like you walk through the world and people see it, they go, okay, 
she's got that. Now I've got that somewhere in me too. Where's, where's my first step? What's, what's the tiptoe? Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you hear some quiet meowing and trilling in the background, my cat has decided that I'm not allowed to record this episode of this podcast by myself. So he might contribute some words of wisdom. Um, yeah, but <laughs> you can, you can be a translator. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but I absolutely think it's, it's one of these things where traditionally we just have such a conservative and such a I feel like conforming is a strong word, but I can't think of a better word right now. We have such a conservative and conformist culture traditionally that especially with um, the kind of rise of uh, global sharing of information and the internet, Mm. it's given people, I think, um, like accessibility to new styles and to new things as well because especially if you don't have the skills to like make your own clothes um you know that's quite time consuming that can be quite expensive it it allows for people to see things from a different point of view and to try on different personas and to try on different ways of being and existing in the world that I think weren't accessible to generations before yeah and so I think it's one of those incredible things where the internet has made a whole bunch of people feel more themselves and feel more at home and feel like they have the ability to leave the house the way they want rather than feeling like they have to try and fit a mold that they feel like doesn't fit. God, I love, I, I absolutely am. I think, and 2020 has taught me this too. I think a lot from working at home and being on my own a lot. Um, I just love everybody's differences and their nuance and the way that as much as folks talk about the negative aspects of the internet, and we'll get into this because both you and I have been doing social media for quite a while now. There's so much positivity out there. There is so much connection. And I feel like the social part of social media really got to shine this year. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that was one of the, I couldn't even imagine what lockdown would have felt like if you didn't have your friends Uh, just waiting for you at the click of a button. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about lockdown. We've been really lucky here in New Zealand, but tell me about level four for you and, and what that kind of meant from a home life, a work life, um, how you kind of dealt with that. Yeah. Um, so my husband and I are quite, uh, privileged in that we were very easily able to switch to working from home very quickly. Um, he's a software developer. I'm a social media specialist. So both of our jobs are very digital and online, and it was relatively easy to get set up to work from home. Um, and I found that for the first few weeks, I actually did pretty okay. I didn't think of it as like a holiday or anything because I still had to work. Um, but it was... It it was manageable for the first few weeks. The loneliness really set in after the about the three week mark because through mm. through the performing arts through drag I was spending time with my friends in in a way that I had never done before. Like constantly, I was seeing different groups of friends multiple times a week, and I went from that to nothing. I went from that to cold turkey and just hanging out with my husband and my cat constantly which I'm not opposed to. They're great. I love them very much. But there was definitely an element of something missing. Whereas if I think this had happened at a different point in my life, it would have affected me very differently. Um, Mm. And so um, as part of 
as part of working from home, I decided that um, <laughs> just just doing my ordinary job wasn't going to be like enough for this whole lockdown thing. And so I volunteered to be seconded to the Unite Against COVID-19 team to help with their social media. Okay. So then that's double, triple, quadruple busy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that was a very interesting and unique experience as far as um, social media, uh, like customer service frontline stuff goes. It's I've never experienced anything like it. Um, and so as part of as part of the whole thing, one of the things that I decided to do to a help me like get motivated to get out of bed and get dressed and stuff rather than just being in my pajamas all day for Zoom meetings with the um, camera turned off um, was I decided to wear all of my outfits that are like too eccentric and too dressy to normally leave the house in. I have a huge box full of beautiful vintage gowns that I have maybe two occasions a year to be able to wear them to. And so it was a lot of fun to just get dressed up in the morning and turn up in the Zoom call in like this big fluffy pink cupcake vintage gown or this big <laughs> gold cupcake vintage gown or my the absolute piece de resistance in my entire wardrobe, this giant pink vintage wedding gown that is like oh. honestly a giant loofah. It's it's incredible. It takes up so much space. It's highly, highly impractical, but that is the second time I think I've ever gotten a chance to wear it. And so people would, um, people would get so excited to be like, Oh, what's Libby going to wear on the, wear on the zoom call today. So that was nice that I was bringing a little bit of cheer to other people during what was a quite stressful and, um, quite, uh, like unknown time for us. That would have been, um, I didn't know you were part of that Unite Against COVID-19, but I'm not surprised because it's funny now that we're going into award seasons for social media and, you know, advertising and marketing. Um, I keep getting asked the question by different publications, what was your favorite campaign? And I was like, well, it wasn't actually a campaign. It was, um, it was a whole bunch of comms that were just undertaken in the the fastest, quickest, most beautiful, most human way. So I think, you know, to you and to the entire team, um, I'm just so thankful that you guys were on that um, job because, wow, what a fantastic job you did with that communication. It was clear and concise and and human. And I can tell you, I mean, you know it too, right? There's a lot of times we don't, we're not allowed to do that on social media. <laughs> we have to be marketing. Yeah, Um yeah, I I left the team. Um, gosh, I I think I left the I I joined the team in March, and I think I left the team in about June. I rejoined briefly after the switch to um, Alert Level Two uh, everywhere else and Alert Level Three in Auckland. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and heading up the team at the time that I was working there was Katie Brown, who I'm sure you're very familiar yes. with. Um, Katie is just, she's a fantastic person to work for. And she encouraged us to not only like bring the humanity into, um, talking to people where possible and just have people understand that, you know, at the end of the day, we're all in the same boat. Um, yes. But also she was great at having us all look after our own mental health because there were times where responding to uh, responding to the messages that came through, 
um, got it got quite overwhelming and there were times where it got quite triggering. Um, and so Katie was so understanding and she would always encourage us to look after ourselves first and foremost. I, that is that is the best best thing about 2020 as well. Um, I watched my wife and her colleagues not not as uh, they weren't as fancy as you, my friend, dressing up. But every Friday they had drinks, and there was always a different kind of focus. And they dress up and they have fun, and they stopped and they slowed down almost every time. Um, my wife would jump on a call again, not being a creep, but I would listen a little bit. And they would ask each other how they were doing. Whereas when we, we're in offices, quite often we walk into a meeting room, we sit down and we start without checking in with each other. So that's a really neat thing to hear that um, you felt supported through that. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really, it was a really unique experience. Um, and I, we were, it wasn't just me. It was um, like social media people from across different government organizations, like names that I had always seen in passing at like conferences and things. And so being able to work with these people directly was great. It was great to get to know people in similar situations and similar roles to myself because um, social media can be a somewhat like surprisingly isolating role, especially if uh -huh. you're the only person in your organization who does it. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it was great to be able to connect with people. It was great to be able to um, network with all of these amazing people who are the the top of their fields. And it was just a great campaign, great communications. Uh, I should say is a great campaign. It's one of those things that's just still going. Yeah. Still going. <laughs> it's great campaign, great communications, and it was a fantastic team to work for. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I noticed a few other places across the globe kind of pop it and drop in the templates, the look and feel, the, the approaches to the different platforms. And I thought, well, that is, if there's anything to be proud of, you know, uh, New Zealand should be very proud of that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Now let's talk a little bit more about you then. You said you were a social, you're a social media gal. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about your journey. Tell me about your, your professional journey and, and what you're doing. Well, uh, my professional journey starts uh, well. well. Um, it starts nearly 10 years ago now. I went to university as all Kiwi kids are encouraged to do. I did one year of it and I decided, nope, that's not for me. <laughs> um, and so I dropped out of uni and then I went on to the New Zealand Radio Training School. I got ah. a certificate in commercial broadcasting and then I got a job working for a local radio station where I was a copywriter and production engineer, which is a fancy way of saying that I wrote and made ads. Um, and so then I did that for a couple of years and came to realize that that particular role was, was no longer for me. I found a role within New Zealand Post as their um, copywriter and direct marketing manager for the Stamps and Queens team. Um, and then as part of that, I started playing around uh, in Facebook. So I got hands-on experience of um, trying to create campaigns, trying to create um, posts and content in-house, essentially throwing things at the wall and seeing what stuck. And I found it absolutely fascinating seeing what did and didn't resonate with people. I think that's still one of the things that I love the most about social media is that you can know about everything from an analytical perspective, but the un the unknown in every campaign is how people are going to respond to it. Yes. Um, so then as part of that, I uh, suggested to the business that they need a social media manager and that social media manager should be me. 
And thankfully, they took me up on that because if they didn't, that would have been really embarrassing. Um, (laughs) uh, And so I became the social media specialist at New Zealand Post. And as part of that, I helped manage the New Zealand Secret Santa Twitter campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, So I did that for uh, two and a half years. And then I moved to Kaing Order Homes and Communities as their social media advisor. I think was my job title. Um, it's the same as a specialist. It's just a different word. Um, but uh, so I moved to Kaying Order Homes and Communities and I managed their social media for uh, just under 20 months or something. I don't know. You can check out my LinkedIn profile to see what the timeline is there. Um, and now I am at MAS, which is Medical Assurance Society. We are an insurance company that is a mutual, which means that we are a society and it is for the benefit of our members and not uh, not for stakeholders. That's, I mean, your background sounds just as varied and wild as mine. Yeah, yeah, I've really been all over the show. <laughs> yeah, well, I have found that because I'm I'm very similar to you um, in that probably every two years, give or take a bit, I've I've moved on to somewhere else and rewritten a job description in another business and said, "Hey, this is what you need, and please hire me." Um, and it's been it's been an interesting ride to watch the world go from kind of the pre-social media. Um, way of marketing and doing business and communicating with folks to where we are now, which is like almost everything needs to be automated. Mm. And I don't know about you. I was curious to ask you this. How are you feeling about um, what I mentioned earlier, which is that social part of social media, the idea of growing and engaging teams and uh, sorry, not teams, engaging customers and, and stakeholders and actually spending time having conversations That's what I loved so much in the beginning, figuring out not only what resonated with people, but then what kind of conversations the brand could have with them. Um, How have you found that? Yeah, I have. One of the things that I've tried to do with every social media role that I've gone into is try to figure out essentially where are the gaps in communication between a customer and a brand? So it's all well and good for the brand to have some idea of the messaging that they want to put out into the world. But if it's not the questions that the customers are asking, then you're essentially talking into the void. Um, Mm -hmm. And what I think is fantastic about social media, especially in comparison to other marketing channels, is that it is a it is a two way conversation. If you are there to talk at people, if you are not open to having a discussion with your customers, then you should stick to billboards and magazine spreads because that's not what social media is for. Yeah, um, I agree. It is so much more putting the power back into the hands of the consumer, like more so than it has ever been. It kind of democratizes the consumer brand experience in a lot of ways. Um, and so one of the things that I always try to do going in, going into any new organization, and I've worked for um, pretty non-standard organizations when it comes to social media really um Mm -hmm. one of the first things that I try to do is figure put my finger on the pulse and try to figure out what is it that people are asking about and where is that shortfall in communication and how do we how do we build a bridge there how do we mend this so that way um people aren't asking the same questions over and over and over again I always try to approach social media with the uh, mindset of if it's not informative 
or it's not entertaining, then you shouldn't post it. I love that. Um, There was a, I'm not sure if you've read it, there was a study out recently that Facebook did and they analyzed um, over 200,000 different videos to see why some videos went viral and why some kind of fizzed. Mm. And it was basically what you just said. It was, you know, inform people and entertain them, but above inform and entertain was give people hope. People loved Mm. videos with hope where they could see themselves in it. And I feel like, you know, a lot of bigger brands and even smaller brands are still really um, wrestling with this idea of, of relevance because they continually want to put their voice um, in the way that they want to say things and they want it to be a one-way conversation. So it's that two-way give that I find when folks like you get behind the channels, they start to resonate. Yeah. I, yeah, I hadn't read that study, but I'm really not surprised to hear that. I mean, (laughs) for, for me, even personally, um, what I find going into it is that I try to explain to people because people are like, oh, people tend to approach social media with one of two, two attitudes if they haven't worked in it before. They either approach it with, oh, it's so mysterious and magic and I don't understand it, so I'm leaving everything to you. Or um, I have a Facebook page, so I don't know why we need someone to manage our social media kind of thing. <laughs> and, yeah, and there's no nuance between those two. It's no, a binary. It is, it is yeah. always it is always one of two extremes. Um, and so one of the things that I always try to break down for people who maybe come up to me and say, look, I have no idea what's going on. I have no idea what you've just said. Everything you've said is complete jargon. One of the things that I always try to bring it back to is just think of your own behavior when interacting with social media. And I think a lot of people, um, there are a lot of people maybe in different roles within different organizations that tend to lose sight of that. If they think, oh, well, you know, we've paid a lot of money for this video. And so therefore everyone's going to enjoy consuming it. And it's like, no, Is if you look back at it, if you try to look at it from an objective perspective, would you watch this video through to the end? Would you be in like would you find this informative or entertaining or hopeful like does this trigger an emotion in you if not then maybe you need to go back to the drawing board because you are market research as well that's right and that's that that is exactly the thing that I've been telling folks for you know a decade now but also even one step further is if if you're at say Vodafone if this if this was put out by Spark would you watch it yeah. And if you go, oh, well, no, I wouldn't watch it if it was a competitor video. Well, then nobody cares. Nobody cares about brands. They care about their life and how you can make their life better. And if you can entertain them, inform them, educate them, give them a really good deal, help them, then yeah. you're going to be fine. <laughs> oh, I heard the kitty. <laughs> I was going to say, and my cat has started yelling at me again. Do you want to be part of the podcast? Do you? <laughs> Oh, I've now got him up in the booth with me. So we'll see if he keeps talking. Um, But yeah, it's, it's definitely one of those things where I think it still comes back to the idea of people love being told a good story. And Mm. I think that's why people still tune into the Super Bowl ads, even if they're not interested in football. Like I am not a sports person in the slightest. All I know is that it's very, usually a variation of getting a ball from one place to another. Um, (laughs) But I still watch the Super Bowl ads every year because they're meant to be like the creme de la creme of advertising. And the best ones always tell a great story. That's right. And you can you can distill that down even to 
I'm thinking of the the guy with the cranberry juice um, and his story. You know, he had a he had a flat tire. He had some cranberry juice, and he could have either had a real shit day, or he could just like relax and flow down the hill on a skateboard to Fleetwood Mac. And that kind of a story is something we've all had a flat tire and it's shit. But you know, we could look at it in a good way. So I'm with you, regardless of if it's Super Bowl ads or it's cranberry cranberry juice ocean spray guy. Um, that's the beauty of social media. Um, let's talk about storytelling for a minute because there are times when I feel a little bit, I don't know, embarrassed maybe to say that I'm a storyteller for brands. Mm. And I don't have to just unpack that a little for myself, but really when you look back at it, I think the work that I know I've done in social for all of these years that's resonated the most has been a story. So how do you approach storytelling specifically in, you know, the role that you're doing now? I don't imagine you're telling super flowery stories or are you? Um, well, I'm relatively new to my role at Maz. So what the kinds of stories I'm going to be telling are still TBC. But I think it is one of those things where regardless of what organization you're working for, people are looking for relatability and like a reflection of themselves in the stories that you're telling. So like uh, we're we're an insurance company. And so the question is, how do you relatably sell insurance to people, especially when the Kiwi mindset is usually, oh, I don't want to think about it. Let's not talk about it. So mm-hmm. TBC on how that's going to go. Um, <laughs> hopefully a few months down the line, I'll have some cool stories. Um, but I, I think... I think one of the things that people are like really mystified about when it comes to social media is that they think it is a new form of marketing that is just so completely wild and so completely out of the box in comparison to old forms of marketing. And that is completely untrue. It's Mm. just, it's just a new channel to, uh, in which to transfer existing skills and transfer existing um, like uh, methods of telling a story because for the most part, people behave uh, in a similar manner to how they would when they interact with other advertising. And so it's just applying the basic principles of like your marketing funnel um, and how do you apply that to social media versus a traditional marketing funnel and the basic like three-act structure of of a video, how do you shorten that down to less than 30 seconds and still get the still get the story across? It's new it's new challenges with I think traditional formats and I think that's something that people tend to not necessarily understand when they're talking social media marketing if they don't have experience in it I'm with you and it's that's exactly my fundamental belief is it's it's not a oh my god we are lost this is the future it's a go back to basics the stuff that I know resonates most across businesses that I'm working with. And as you said earlier, like me as a case study of one, Hmm. it's always clever marketing, but it could exist out of home in a different format, the same story. It could exist on the radio. It could exist in a, in a 30 second TV slot. It's just how it is creatively presented, but I'm, I'm with you. It's the solution to the problem is still the crux of, of social media marketing. Yeah, absolutely. And going back to the idea of it democratizing um, the experience between brand and customer, it also democratizes the experience between um, larger brands and smaller brands because your marketing budget for social media is essentially 
how long is a piece of string? You don't need tens of thousands of dollars to get an ad created and in front of people anymore. And I think what's also a beautiful thing is, as you said, with the ocean spray um, skateboarding, (laughs) what's ended up being a, a kind of a guerrilla campaign is that it's, allowing people it's allowing people to create a whole bunch of user generated content it's allowing mm-hmm. businesses to be challenged on their idea of of approaches to things and the fact that ocean yeah. spray just embraced it rather than shutting it all down i think is uh it's a sign of good things of people not being just hamstrung to forking out uh loads and loads of money to agencies to pump out similar content year on year yeah, yeah, I agree with you. It was, um, you know, reading the things that have happened with with Ocean Spray since then, um, their their stock price has gone through the roof. They couldn't, they were actually kind of on this precipice about going, how do we move forward as a business? Because they weren't growing. They weren't in growth mode. People weren't buying cranberry juice as their vodka mixer at the time. <laughs> um, and so for them, it's. I think it's the beautiful thing is exactly what you said is they went, wow, what a gift. Mm. Um, and they rolled with it. I remember my first day at the warehouse group. Um, first day, no, second day. Um, and do you know Troy Rafferty Connell? Uh, not in person, but I am familiar with him online. Yes. Yeah. So Troy just, he's got one of the most beautiful minds. He is creative as creative can be. He's a sweet soul. And he just, he's, he's been in the industry, um, as well for a long time. And, a post came up on Facebook and it was by Emily Wright's uh, address to uh, the warehouse. Oh, I love it. And it was, oh my God, it sh- her brain. If I could live in there for a day, I would be the happiest human. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. She wrote an entire like mini novella on a, our Facebook page about how she bought a dryer and we sold her the dryer. And then we went, oops, sorry, we don't have a dryer. So she wrote this entire story about how she'd always wanted a dryer since she was little. She finally got her dryer and then interwoven was like the rock and and um, Jason Momoa having like this uh, love affair and then all of how she was heartbroken. And luckily it was Troy who caught the post. Mm. And the corporate response was going to be, uh, like it and then send just a two-line response but fortunately because it was Troy and he came over to me he's like look <laughs> I think we need to write her a story back yeah um, and and he wrote this beautiful we actually flipped a coin because I wanted to write the story back um, <laughs> <laughs> I we flipped write a coin. story to Emily we were literally like oh no I want to yeah um but I love Troy. And so he, he won the flip and he definitely wrote the better story anyways. And he responded and because he met her in the similar way and in a similar kind of tenor, um, she wrote back to us. We also checked, obviously we had a dryer. We could get her a dryer. Yay. Good. We'll, we'll take care of that. Mm. Um, and she wrote back and it made the news. I mean, New Zealand's not known for like it's real hard hitting news all the time, which is why I love it here. <laughs> but it was like on the news, it made all of the major papers. And I was like on a Facebook post. And that's because Troy put some real love and entertainment into that. And Emily gave us a gift and we treated her feedback as a gift. And I've always thought that if we can fundamentally look at social media as not as a place to pump out templated ads, but 
to look at people's interaction as gifts, then whether it's, you know, Libby as a human or Libby as a brand you're working for, then, then you're doing better for the world. Absolutely. You, and social media is one of those really special places where if you, if you play it right and you match the person's, like, obviously this is in a, in a jovial situation. If it's a serious complaint, then match that energy. But if you're able to have some fun with people, if you're able to match the energy that they give to you, then you can create something magical. We had something um, at New Zealand Post where um, the, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the New Zealand Post um, head office uh, on the Wellington waterfront on Waterloo Quay. It's this huge, brutalist structure. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure you can already envision it. Um, It's Uh a massive, brutalist structure. It's been there for uh, Decades, decades. I don't want to name a specific number in case someone uh, just corrects me. Um, but it's been there for a very long time, and it very regularly gets complained about as being a massive eyesore on the Wellington waterfront. And so, when I think it was the project, we're talking about um, the ugliest buildings in New Zealand. They had like a ten-minute segment on brutalist structures, and people kept tagging us saying the New Zealand Post building is so ugly. Um, I had one of our designers in the team just mock up a quick image to chuck back on Twitter to say it's an honor to be nominated. And it was the building wearing a sash that said New Zealand's ugliest building. See, that's clever. That's fun. You were meeting the moment. You were taking the joke. And that that's what I love about social. That kind of stuff. You just go, wow, that was clever. (laughs) Yeah. And um, the project were kind enough to feature our response in their little segment. So that was nice. (laughs) oh Oh my gosh we have now talked for 45 minutes so holy cow we could probably keep going but um i can hear my wife just got home from work she's gonna want me to start cooking dinner (laughs) fair enough Um, it's about that time it is it is i would love to wrap up with just a few quick questions for you like quick fire round fire away okay tell me about your best moment of 2020 and your worst moment Oh, oh, that's a really good question. Um, I think my best moment of 2020 was one of my one of my drag performances. I was lucky enough to be um, tapped to be in what is uh, it's called the Ultimate Drag Super Show. It's a family friendly drag extravaganza. There's group acts. There's solo acts. There's duets. There's it's just. Uh, it was three nights of sold out drag amazingness. And it was just the feeling of being in a theater, a sold out theater, hearing people just like screaming and applauding. And there was the moment of, oh, wow, like this is so special. I'm going to remember this for the rest of my life. And then there was the additional moment of, we are so lucky in New Zealand. Well, not, I hate the word lucky because luck didn't have all that much to do with it. We are so blessed. We are so fortunate to be able to have these moments in 2020. Um, yes. And it was an incredible situation because I always wanted, I always wanted to be an actor when I was a kid. And that moment of being able to perform to a sold out audience, to have people cheering and screaming and just so happy that we were there was just magical. And it's a moment I'm going to remember for the rest of my life. Oh, I just got full body chills. Yeah. Um, As for one of the worst moments of 2020. 
honestly, I think it was the anxiety that was surrounding going the the anxiety and the unknown of going into the first lockdown. Um, because I, at that point in time, I was much more clued up on COVID than what I was earlier in the year, but it was just still this unknown of like, it could be everywhere. Everyone could have it. We didn't know that much about asymptomatic, asymptomatic carriers at that point in time. So it was just this big, scary, anxiety inducing unknown. Um, it was that. And then also when we were unsure of where the second spread came from, Yes. Just those moments, uh, just the moments between not knowing and the moments between the, like, the press conferences. Yes. Um, I don't know that I've ever been so afraid of leaving mm. my house in my entire life, and I never thought I would experience that in my lifetime. I feel like that must be a very worldwide and global part of the human condition and um, experience this year. I think about my family back home right now. Um, I just had some messages before we started talking from friends who are teachers who said, oh, we're, all, we're shutting down in California and it's worse than it was in March. And when is this going to end? And everybody's just holding out hope for this vaccine and nobody wants to leave their house, but everybody wants to leave their house because it's yeah. been a long time and, and my heart just breaks and yeah, I'm with you on both of those best and worsts. Yeah, like I just want to, I just want to take a moment to say that I understand how, how privileged we are to be able to be in the situation that we're in, and I know that there's a lot of stuff where, in terms of it coming down to luck, you know, our geographical location, it makes it pretty easy to keep things out to, for the most part. Yes, but yes. Um, I just want to acknowledge that, um, as. On the other, oh well, I can't really say we're on the other side of it, but in the position that we are currently in, we are so mm. privileged to be able to go out and leave our homes without fear, and to be able to be around our loved ones, and to be able to plan holidays and have long-term plans. Yeah, that I think that's the biggest thing is uh, for the folks back home is the not knowing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, I love those. Are you ready for another question? Yes. <laughs> Hit me with your best. <laughs> what do you most? All right. What are you listening to? Oh, uh, as music or podcasts or? Yeah. Yeah. Anything. Yes. Um, uh, all right. As far as podcasts go, I very much got into um, podcasts this year after being one of those people who's like, oh, I don't know about podcasts. Eh? I don't know that I could just, I don't know that I can <laughs> Me do talking at <laughs> me for so long. Um, I'm a huge fan of Behind the Bastards. Oh. Yeah, so that's a podcast where they um, document uh, some of the worst people in human history. And as a social media person, you'll enjoy this. There are five episodes on Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> of course there are. <laughs> Which I can highly recommend. They are very enlightening. Um, I really enjoy the podcast You're Wrong About. They recently did a five-part series on Princess Di, which I was a big fan of. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So the whole idea behind that one is that they just debunk common misconceptions about things that are perceived to be widely known. Like everyone knows all of the facts about that, whereas they break it down and they explain the reality of the situation. So kind of like revisionist history, but with a twist. Yeah. Um, nice. I got very much got into the happiness lab earlier in the year. That's a pretty good yes. one. 
Um, and then as far as music goes, um, I'm always listening to tracks on repeat to get ready for shows. So my Spotify wrapped is never that exciting because it's just numbers that I've done usually. Um, but as far as music goes, um, I've been very into Hot Fuss by The Killers recently. Um, quite enjoy bass, uh, TikTok songs, like top TikTok playlists. That's always the recurring <laughs> one, mostly because the songs just like will not leave my head. Um, yeah. Arctic Monkeys are always a good one. And oh, um, <laughs> My Chemical Romance, Welcome to the Black Parade. <laughs> awesome. Just, re- awesome. just reliving my emo years as a nearly 30 year old. <laughs> Do it. Do it. Oh my gosh. Makes me happy. Um, well, that, that's all you need. That's all you need. Last question my friend mm-hmm. uh what are you most excited about um as far as 2021 is concerned oh that's that's a good question um my my husband and i um unfortunately we had to cancel a trip to japan this year mm. oh and uli's come back for the final question Um, we had to cancel a trip to Japan and so we have decided to, um, not replan that trip. Unfortunately, Mm. um, things are just too uncertain and too much of an unknown to make, uh, global plans right now. Um, but we have some other exciting long-term plans that we're working towards together. So that's bringing us closer as a couple, which is nice. Um, I have some shows booked in for next year which at this point like I'm I'm not allowed to talk about but they are big (laughs) ones and they're going to be good so if you're in Wellington and you want to check out the Wellington drag scene please keep an eye on Hugo Girls Gigs, um, Den of Thirst Productions and California Productions and keep an eye on the Fringe Bar and Ivy Bar. Um, I am working with a local company called Heft. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them um but no but I saw you had some posts up on the LinkedIn so I'm gonna go have a look yes so Heft are a fantastic local uh like media agency so I'm going to be doing some social media freelancing with them and I'm honestly just I'm excited to have 2020 behind us I know it's a very arbitrary Mm. I know it's an arbitrary line in the sand, you know, um, time is a social construct and all that, but I'm looking forward to just the possibilities of things getting better. I have hope. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm, I'm full of hope. And, um, I actually booked a ticket home April 1st and I'm like both. I'm really excited to, to see my parents, but I'm also like, I never thought I'd be afraid to go back to the USA. So I'm yeah. curious and I'm hopeful, but I'm also, you know, shit scared right now. So yeah, absolutely. I hear you. I hear you. Well, Libby, thank you so much for your time. Um, this first conversation, as far as first conversations goes in my life has been up there with one of my faves. So Aww, thank so you for nice your time. You. Thank you for having me. This has been such a delightful experience and you are an incredibly delightful human to speak to. Oh, Jeez, you're all, you're just making me feel great. Um, <laughs> oh, um, listen to me. I'm like, um, I don't know what to say. <laughs> um, so thank you for your time and I wish you the best. And hopefully 
We'll get down to Wellington and see you perform. That would be awesome in 2021. Yeah, absolutely. Let me know when you're in town and I'll give you I'll give you my roster of when I'm on when I'm on next. Oh, okay. It's a deal. We're doing it. I love it. Looking forward to it. Okay. Have a good one. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Cassie. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Olivia. Bye.